Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Digiday podcast. I'm Michael Berge, Senior Editor of Media Buying and Planning with Digiday. And we are doing a special series of podcasts from the Cannes Lions this week. We are in hot Cannes, France, uh, sitting in the lobby of the Martinez Hotel. And uh, I'm going to have a couple of different guests this week, but I'm starting off here in Cannes with Joanna O'Connell, who's a VP and Principal Analyst with Forrester Research. I've seen Joanna speak many times. I've heard her moderate many times. This person knows the industry really well, and I'm really delighted to have her here. So thanks, Joanna. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. So I want to pick your brains about basically what's going on with digital media and marketing. I know you know a lot about it. Let's start with the kind of the the broader world of ad tech, which has brought such unbridled potential to digital media and marketing but it's also brought along with it a lot of baggage of bad things and bad practices. Um, How can this industry kind of rectify itself or fix some of those ailments so that it does more good than bad? So it's easy to blame the technology. I think what's really necessary is that we all take a step back and look at ourselves in the mirror and say, what kind of strategy are we bringing to bear when we're thinking about the advertising that we're doing? What kind of consumer experience do we want to deliver? And then use technology to support that, right? I'm, nobody is malicious, generally speaking, in this industry. Okay, you're making a face. There are some malicious actors. I'm making actors. a bit of a face. That's Just fair. because there are some bad that's actors fair. out that, there. That's, that's absolutely fair. You're right. I wouldn't say, in general, there's ill intent. In general. Okay. But in the 25 years of digital advertising, innovation has outpaced, I think, thoughtful, methodical, uh, careful assessment of what could be done versus what should be done. Yeah. And so, listen, honestly, we're at this weird moment right now when you look at the deprecation of the third-party cookie, consumers taking privacy-protecting actions, a legislative environment that's, you know, that's very active around privacy, um, anti-competitive concerns. There's a lot happening that's shining a light on what we do that I think gives us a moment or should give us a moment of pause. Truly, really and truly. And I say this to the biggest brands in the world. I say this to the biggest media platforms in the world um, because it is their responsibility ultimately to be shepherds of good experience for consumers. Well, and that's why I asked that question because there's so much going on. Um, Part of what's going on is the fact that there is constant innovation in this industry. And that's a good thing in many ways. Uh, To me, kind of the latest hot button topic or, you know, data clean rooms. And it took a little while for me to understand what those mean. How do you and your job keep up with these innovations? And is there anything that kind of that you see as really exciting or could could be a bit of a game changer? So it's funny that you feel like you understand clean rooms because I'm not even sure that most of most of us do. <laughs> we'll talk offline. <laughs> no, in seriousness, we actually um, pursued it from a research standpoint because that's a perfect example of a category where there's a lot of noise mm-hmm. and a lot of buzz and I think very little understanding. And there are some players that have a lot of substance and there are some players that have less substance. So the question isn't, what is a clean room? The question is, what do I need that might necessitate that I go out looking for a particular solution? The clean room thing is interesting. Of course, we should care about data security. Of course, we should care about keeping consumer data safe. The question I think right now is, what are the use cases that necessitate a solution like that for a brand 
versus, say, for a publisher, um, where there's a lot of energy, I think, um, in sort of being more protective of data, um, you know, sort of putting data behind some gates um, that I think for a publisher makes sense, but it's going to create some challenges for brands. Good answer. Good answer. Um, I'm going to switch to, and I don't mean to sound like like Debbie Downer or, or Mr. Negative Guy, but uh, I'm going to switch to the topic of fraud. Sure. Fraud has siphoned billions of dollars into kind of the wrong pockets of this industry. From your vantage point, um, do you see the efforts underway to reduce and minimize fraud having a chance of success? And what does that entail? So the really interesting thing is that I I almost fell into a research opportunity with a colleague at Forrester in the security and risk discipline. Um, right. And those are marketers and security and risk professionals don't often speak. And that, I think, is part of the problem. Yeah. The fraud issue, the sort of malicious activity issue is so much bigger than, than advertising fraud, which we can talk about for sure. I think the issue is that organizations have not organized around fighting these um, bad guys from all of the threat vectors, all of the attack vectors that exist. And so there are all these weird ways in which fraud is penetrating uh, organizations that have knock-on effects to things like marketing uh, that I don't think we've even yet identified, Mm -hmm. which is so interesting because that is when you start going, oh no, this isn't just just an ad fraud thing. This is like a, this is an organizational threat question. You know, and how do we organize around that? That said, listen, it's whack-a-mole. It's always whack-a-mole, right? <laughs> Every new environment becomes the next environment where you have to face these kinds of challenges. And frankly, the the best, I think the best antidote is, is, is constant vigilance. And again, I think also up-leveling the conversation from like one person who thinks about like working with a particular vendor to how does our organization think about protecting itself and its consumers and our dollars and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, constant vigilance should be able to be aided by things like AI and machines that kind of don't turn off. Not that I want to go all like that Google guy. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, it's, it's I, just, I don't think they're sentient yet. I hope they're not. But, but hopefully that level of technology can help with the constant vigilance that's needed, right? So it's so funny you say that because a few years ago I did a whole piece on AI and advertising Mm -hmm. um, because it sort of felt like clearly there's a huge amount of innovation that's happening. AI, you know, in its many forms has totally, is totally pervasive inside of the digital advertising world and marketing world, of course, right? But the problem is if you allow the machines, if you will, uh, to have too much power without oversight, they're only as good as the information that they have. Right. You know what I mean? And so the real magic is finding the right interaction model between the humans and the machines. And at the time, we essentially said, hey, all this good stuff is happening, but it's also, without oversight, you know, creating a lot of bad stuff. Yep. Um, so one of the things that I've been talking to advertisers about, and I know this is a little heady, but it feels more and more important as, as AI becomes even more pervasive, is creating governance around human and machine interaction models. Um, because, and, and by, I have colleagues at Forrester that write all kinds of interesting things about, about managing AI, avoiding bias in AI and the like. Mm-hmm. Again, these are human problems that are going to make the, you know, the technologies um, sort of work better on your behalf. So kind of like Asimov's three rules of robots or something. <laughs> yes. Know, I don't know. Sorry, that was, that's, that was a little bit out of left That's left perfect. Field. Nope. Sorry. I'm, I'm good with an Asimov re- reference. <laughs> um, do you see a day when the walled gardens are not going to be the behemoths that they are? It feels like those walls are starting to kind of chip. Uh, from your vantage point, what do yeah. you think? Oh, it's such an interesting time. Um, 
I will say, I, I hope so. I mean, I've been advocating for years and years and years for brands to take, literally, in every piece of research I write about advertising, I have a bullet about a walled garden strategy. Yeah. Um, taking a, um, sort of taking a more active stance and trying to think about not just why or why not you need those things, but what rules of the world matter to you yeah. so that, you know, when you're a big brand, you do in fact have power, you have money, um, and yeah. money talks, right. That said though, the wall garden thing is funny because as we're moving into this era of uh, loss of signal, the cookies, mobile ad IDs and the like, the guys that own the relationships, you know, the, the platforms and media companies that own the relationships with, with consumers and have access to content to serve them ads become even more powerful. So there's an interesting rebalancing, I think, toward publishers, which is a, which is a good thing because yeah. they've had a hard, they've yeah, had a no, hard road. Very, very tough. Totally. Um, bigger ones, it's going to be easier than smaller ones, which is a whole other conversation. But with these big guys, they are erecting malls. They are because they can. And, you know, back to the clean room conversation, right? If right. you want to interact with my data, you need to come to my environment. Right. Um, and all of a sudden, a brand is facing 15 of those conversations. So what do we even mean when we say well garden safe? If you're talking about the classic guys, they are under a lot of pressure and a lot of threat. On a certain level, it's still fundamentally a, a measurement problem. Yeah. <laughs> How do you measure effectively to make sure that you're putting your dollars into the right places? If you can convince me that you truly are measuring correct, correctly and therefore the Metas and the Googles, you know, deserve all of the dollars that you're, that you're putting into them, I will, I will say, okay, you've convinced me. I, mm -hmm. I need to see more of that to be convinced. A little more transparency would help too. Oh, they're not making it easy. Of course yeah. they're not. But yeah. chicken egg, right? They right. keep spending money. They don't make it easy. They keep spending right. money. Right. They don't exactly. make it easy. You know, yeah. who, who bends? Yeah, exactly. Right. Who bends first? Um, so I'm wondering about uh, consumers and data. Do you, you know, a lot of companies like to talk about uh, consumers are going to own and control their data. Um, I'm a little skeptical about that. What, what's your take on that? So we love to speak in sort of broad strokes, it's black or it's white. And the practical reality is consumers are not monolithic, right? They're, right. they're highly variable. And so the short answer is some, some will be really interested in taking a very active role in kind of managing their relationship with the data economy. Some will definitely not. Some will be oblivious and they'll be okay with that. Part of it is thinking about how consumers want to interact, yeah. right? Being more, and this is a totally overused term, but being more customer-centric, yeah. being more, more specifically consumer-centric, so that you're giving consumers an opportunity to tell you how they want to operate. Some are going to be very active in that conversation with you, some are not. So then it becomes a question of how do you build the kinds of experiences that get them to want to interact with you? Yeah. Um, and then if they choose to, great. If they don't, fine. What will it look like in 50 years or even 25 years when it comes to consumer data? That's a harder one for me to kind of wrap my oh, head that's around. that's impossible. It's impossible it's to see it's what's tough. going to be in five years. It's, it's tough. So. But I think the, the, the point is to say there is no answer, Can all consumers own data or no yeah. consumers own data. Got it. That's, that's the point. Very good answer. Um, so this has been a great conversation. And before I let you go, Joanna, I want to know, you come to Can Lions, what do you hope to get out of this? So listen, there's the obvious stuff like what are people talking about when they talk about creativity, you know, uh, you know, retail media. Ooh, very exciting. Convergence <laughs> is real. Sure, it's real. But where are we with it? You know, all that stuff is sort of the obvious stuff. And of course, I'm here to listen to all of those conversations happening. But frankly, I'm really here to see the people that I have missed over the last couple of years. It is the highest concentration of 
senior strategic thinkers from most corners of our industry. And there's literally nothing better than just sitting down and having a conversation with someone about what's in their head, because that's, I, uh, frankly, truly, that's how I get smarter and better at my job. And not a bad location to be doing it, I guess. I will admit to being a little sweaty. It is very warm, oh, okay. but I otherwise absolutely love it here. <laughs> well, thank you, Joanna, for uh, joining us. And I hope to see you along the Quasette. And uh, to all you listeners, we will have another guest tomorrow. I hope you will keep listening. From lovely Cannes, France, signing off, Michael Bernie. 